Hi and welcome to season four, episode two of the Glenvor podcast with your host JJ and uh, the world's leading Glenvor podcast because we are the only one mad enough to do this. So I hope you're all keeping well. It's been a couple of weeks since I checked in. Life, as I think I mentioned on the last one, is pretty hectic, pretty busy, but I did manage a couple of hours uh, last night to do some more Glenvor research and it's always a delight when I do because it just throws up new things. Um, so to give you a little tidbit, um, we have our first confirmed break-in and pilfering, but you're going to have to wait until the 1960s in the logbook till I can bring you that online and in the podcast. And I'm already reaching out and trying to find some more details about it, because as far as I'm aware, it never appeared in any news or anything like that. But um, the thorough aspect of me being inquisitive I think I know how they did it uh, I think I know the entry point and all the other bits and bobs and we can replicate that in photographic form and hopefully put some more layers of detail on um, of this uh, devious exploitation uh, of whiskey uh, and extraction um, by um, you know you got to admire people that do it to a certain extent but um, you know uh, you know <laughs> Um, it is illegal, isn't it? So let's move on. So we're going to talk a little bit about two earlier entries on the website. And uh, we have the Grand Old Man of Whiskey is the first of them uh, from the Aberdeen Press and Journal on the 4th of May 1973. So literally just over 50 years ago now. And this is about William Burney, as we know, who passed away, sadly. Uh, former director of McKinley's and Burney, um, but who also oversaw uh, Glenvor and Glenalbin. Um, pretty much from the death of his father right through till um, his own uh, retirement when they sold the distilleries in 1972. So he literally... I suppose it's a common thing in history you see people who uh, have a sense of belonging and a purpose and um, a focus and when you stop some people I guess health-wise maybe deteriorates or something happens you know you, you see people who retire and uh, you know begin to fade um, and other people who maybe go from strength to strength so for for William we don't know the cause of death uh, we know it was ill health I could probably we could probably look into a death certificate sometime uh, and see but um, you know we have his address there uh, they mention as well his work about the whiskey bible the true whiskey bible uh, not that for, from a man in the Stetson I think isn't it um, this was the original bible which he ran from the earl early mid 1940s right up until probably the early 1970s you know and um, history has proven William to be very accurate in his predictions and his foresight about the industry and what was coming uh, which again you know probably facilitated the family's decision and families plural um, because I think maybe there was about 16 to 18 shareholders involved in the family side of things they decided to sell up and move on in 72 because the the task of filling casks, which was the, the bread and butter of Glenvor, had very much proven to be a struggle and uh, it would only get harder, I think, as well. And it's quite interesting with the recent um, Gordon MacPhail news that they're going to stop requesting fillings from casks. That's quite a, a big statement, although, they, you know, they were until recently building more warehouses to accommodate their um, inventory. So, you know, I think they've got plenty to keep going on with and no doubt they'll keep a few, but... 
in a way it's sad but uh, you know I can see both sides of the argument I I know David Stark sort of had his viewpoint and I can see a lot of sense in that and other people you know probably see Gordon McPhail as being victims of their own success and chasing you know the premiumization of the markets and they've got their two own distilleries uh, they've done a really great job of Ben Romack uh, the newer build not the most good looking of distilleries but that doesn't mean anything when it comes to the the finished product so i'm sure it's in good hands and we'll just have to wait and see what happens on that front but it's interesting now we're seeing independents becoming distillers and moving away from their roots and um, we have here uh, independent distilleries becoming swallowed up and uh, losing that sort of family connection so it is the world of whiskey as we know it and um, that's what makes looking back uh, at history uh, very informative especially for William who really did have a lot to say and a real purpose and given his background as an accountant you know he had that sort of upbringing where you know he about the detail and the figures and extracting the I guess the MI to a certain extent but um, uh, in the article as well I did go that little bit further as usual and I, I tracked down the, the property where he would have lived which is a very handsome property now run utilized by a charity who bought it um, in 1975 so probably shortly after um, maybe Williams estate was broken up so it seems likely that um, they are the sole tenants since and um, it looks like they do great work as a charity and it's good to see that Brea Rannock house um, ties in with what Peter Kemp said to us when I spoke to him a couple of years ago who's a descendant of the Burnies and he remembers playing in Bernie's office and uh, running around Glenvore and jumping uh, you know I guess into the molting floors with uh, um, all that barley there but also the smell of tobacco in the the distillery office and uh the um, hunting trophies, shall we say, the taxidermy that used to adorn the wall. So those little insights, those little memories, it just gives us so much more than, you know, the, the rudimentary sort of uh, distillery um, historian input. So uh, just great to get these things and to see it tying together because he remembers uh, the distillery house being uh, called Briaranach and um, it pretty much is that, but um, just a slight... Um, different spelling and apologies for my murdering the pronunciation no doubt so the other article uh, which we wanted to discuss in this podcast comes from the 28th of December 1947 and um, you know Hogmanay is such a big deal in Scotland uh, less so now I think you know it used to be a real community vibe when I was growing up and you know we had first footing and um, just a collective washing away of the previous year and looking forward to uh, future years and uh, my father-in-law can regale stories of uh, up north um, certainly in the neck of the woods near Glenvor Hogmanay celebrations lasted you know a fortnight um, you know things did you know push boundaries I think to a certain extent but um, it was a good tradition um, but I'll read the century for you um, which concerns that and to a certain extent um, from the 28th of December. Honourable Sirs, and this comes from uh, G.W. Peterkin, of course, our faithful uh, excise friend, uh, in order that the period should terminate on the 31st of December 1947 and the distillery staff have a holiday on New Year Day and the day after, which um, is tradition in Scotland to get the second and like England, uh, the trader immediately after termination of the previous period on Friday, as previously 
agreed on Saturday the 27th and distilling on the 28th. So it looks like they're having a shuffling of production dates and rotas to enable the second off. When the stills were at work on Sunday, a survey was made in accordance with paragraph 180 of the distillery distillery instructions. New subparagraph inserted by OWO, don't know. I would love to get a copy of the distillery instructions book. Um, Still out there looking for it. One of the days we might have access to what this uh, document was and how uniform it was across distilleries, but certainly it seems to be the, I guess, the Bible to a certain extent for excisemen. Um, And I would think, you know, it must be consistent across distilleries because if he's referring to it, uh, you know, the collector in Inverness and the commissioners in London would also be referring to it. And it seems a bit ridiculous that there would be a distillery handbook exclusive to each distillery given how many distilleries are in scotland and how many you know there has to be a a level of consistency i think so i think that's a reasonable outlook um but he then goes and say i'm your honorable sirs your obedient servant gw peter peterkin at glenvore station so uh, as usual, I got um, Alan Winchester's thoughts on this, um, some, perhaps some of the old ways as well. And he said, uh, with the relaxation of the distilling legislation, uh, and here we find them utilising this legislation so they can have New Year's Day off. The days off is how I remember the 25th, the 1st and the 2nd and Boxing Day public holiday came later. I wonder if they got a dram at the end of the day. So Alan, not to embarrass Alan's, goes back many decades um, in the industry so he can perhaps remember the tail end of these practices Um, so there he is um, regaling that and the fact that you know they did have a few days off around about festive time which you would hope and uh, maybe a wee tot of uh, whiskey was uh, you know poured to send workers on their way and wish them their best and uh, I don't know if they were given a a bottle allowance at the time Um, you know maybe as a gift We have no record of gifts from uh, the owners to employees, but certainly they weren't afraid to throw um, a joint party, as we know, for special events between Glenvor and Glenalbin. We do have documentation of that. Potentially, there might have been some gifts as well. Um, Alan goes on to say, the Distilling Act uh, 1823 was was prohibited on a Sunday, so no distilling on a Sunday. An old stillman said, uh, they had some faints from the previous week, i.e. Saturday, uh, and these were distilled early Sunday morning before mashing started, so the officer had to do a survey. The law allowed and still does the officer the power to survey and enter the distillery at any time. So there we've got some great modern context as well, although probably very rare unless they have good grounds. Um, you know, an exciseman can enter and immediately request access. These included surveys during the night. An unintentional result of this control meant an extra level of security on both sides. So, uh, you know, if they are producing at night, if there is an exciseman, you know, there, you know, they have to keep security in place. Interestingly, uh, as I said at the top of the show, we do have a break-in, which it seems, although perhaps I can maybe find out some more about it, happened during what time of the year would you look to break into a warehouse? Exactly. During the festive period. So it looks like we've got that um, happening. So if the distillery was closed as per this earlier entry, seems and security was relaxed, not totally um, incomplete perhaps, but uh, it would be interesting to get more details on it. But it does seem like, again, we have an unintentional result of this, leaves the door slightly ajar for um, some skullduggery. 
So there you go. There's the two entries. And um, yeah, we'll keep it at two. I don't want to give you too much, you know. Um, I hope you're enjoying the content. I know I've had some really nice comments online and uh, social media, obviously. So it's nice. Uh, again, I would just reiterate, anybody can do this, you know, Every distillery has history. Uh, it might be scattered into the winds, but it just takes a little bit of work to pull it all together and to find things and to dig. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for a little pursuit, um, which isn't life-threatening, but um, is fun, uh, you know, this is a good hobby to, to have. And uh, I'd recommend it. And, uh, you know, you can have the liquid appreciation that comes later. Speaking of which, maybe I could pour a Glenvor tonight and do a review. We shall see. Um... I need to get going on some of those McKinley and Burnley um, old blends as I have as well. So all in good time. And uh, I hope, you know, you're appreciating the work. And until I would say next week, but um, maybe a fortnight, we'll see. Um, we will speak again. But um, any questions, any thoughts, please get in contact. Uh, you know, the website ticks over really nicely. Um, I'm still quite surprised by it all. Um but humbled as well so it's good and uh, I, I just cannot wait to see where this break-in takes us but also what the next page of the distillery logbook reveals because it is even up until its final few pages which is where we probably are now and we're probably a couple years ahead of you online but it's just it's been great you know so I can't wait to finish it which won't be long um and then a little pause, and then we're going to do two logbooks for Glen Alban, um, which will give us a more complete picture, and I think will give us new insight into that distillery without question, based on the the form that we've seen on this Glenvor one, but also will give us some Glenvor information. I'm absolutely sure of it. So let's do it. Let's make it happen. Um, there is no timeline. There is no end date. Uh, no best before. This is timeless, and uh, yeah. It helps to be slightly crazy and um, all about detail, but I, I hope you're, I know you are. So, um, yeah, it's fun. So let's do it. So thank you. And uh, I will see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.